Sermon number 662, The Anatomy of Faith, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, October 14th, 1973. The text is Luke, the 8th chapter, the 25th verse, Where is your faith? Luke, the 8th chapter, we begin at the 22nd verse. One day Jesus got into a boat and with him his disciples. And he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they started out. And as they were sailing, Jesus went to sleep. A strong wind blew down on the lake, and the boat began to fill with water, putting them all in great danger. The disciples came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master! We are about to die. Jesus got up and gave a command to the wind and to the stormy water. They quieted down, and there was a great calm. Then he said to the disciples, Where is your faith? Where? Is your faith. There's that word again, faith. It's been an important word in the history of the church, but personally I think sometimes we throw that word around entirely too loosely and lightly in the Christian community. Sometimes we don't give it hands and feet so it can walk and work. When somebody is in the midst of a sea and feels like he's drowning, and the waves of oppression and the winds of depression are beating against him, and he feels that he is about to drown, there's not much consolation when he receives even than from himself or somebody else, the idea that, have more faith, brother, have more faith. Faith is not something that you can buy, beg, borrow, or steal, even if you could. You can't get faith that way. Jesus knew that. He knew the complications of this little word. That is why when some of his disciples on a night voyage across the Sea of Galilee, when they could no longer handle the curves which the elements of the sea were throwing their way, and they went to the Master and they said, Oh, Master, please help us. Jesus got up and he rebuked the storm, but he didn't rebuke the disciples. Jesus got up and he quieted the wind, but he didn't quiet the disciples. Jesus didn't tell those disciples to have more faith. He didn't even bawl them out for their little faith, according to Dr. Luke. But what he did, according to that physician, was to ask his disciples a simple question, where, where is your faith? And that's the question I ask today. Where is your faith? 
When Jesus asked that question, he asked it as do I, presuming, you see, that each one of us does have a faith. We're not asked, why don't you have some faith? No. It is assumed that we have faith, but we're asked, where is that faith? Where's your faith? You have one, you know. Each one of us has within us a faith. It may be a faith in God. Wonderful. It may be a faith in self, or it may be a faith in what money can buy or what power can do, but all of us has some type of faith, someone or something in which we base the criteria for all of our decisions and all of our deeds. I don't want to shock any of you, but when you came into this sanctuary this morning, you brought with you, by your attitude, your faith. What you brought with you this day in this attitude when you came to this church represents your faith. The way you accepted the shocking headlines of the news this past week, the way you accepted that expressed your faith. What you are thinking this very moment concerning the future of what appears to begin be the beginning of another world war over there in the Middle East. What you think about or don't think about expresses your faith. The things that make you cry and the things that make you laugh all are symptomatic of your faith. The way you pray or the way you don't pray tells anybody your faith. The way you treat your family, the people with whom you work, the way you treated that sales clerk yesterday in the store, that tells me about your faith. Whether or not you are looking forward to tomorrow with fear or with great excitement and anticipation, that expresses and is indicative of your faith. The things you do when you're all alone and when you can be sure that nobody, nobody knows what you're doing in secret, that comes from your faith. Everything that we do, say, and yes, even think, is merely an outgrowth of our faith. Each one of us has a faith, and let's not pretend otherwise. But the important thing, where is your faith today? Where? I'm not exactly sure where your faith is, but if you're like the rest of us, I can guarantee you it will be very close to your belief. You see, that is what is directly beneath faith. In that particular dissection, 
faith is built upon belief. And where your belief is, that will affect your faith. It is Emerson, I think, who said that one's deeds are nothing more but a picture book of his creed. What you believe will eventually determine what you do. What you believe. Now, mind you, I'm not asking what you want to believe. I'm asking what do you believe? What we want to believe is not always what we do believe, and our effect will, and our faith will not be affected by what we want to believe, but by really what we do believe. All of us, I'm sure, want to believe that God is good, and that God created all things good. <coughs> But it's very difficult to believe that, is it not, when you look around and see all the ugliness and all of the war and all of the hate and all the selfishness, and it's hard to believe that God is good. You want to believe that God is love, but when you see people hating one another, and when you know you don't have much respect for yourself, let alone your own neighbor, it's kind of hard to really believe that love is still the most important thing in the world. Many of you would like to believe that God does forgive sin when you confess in honesty and sincerity that particular rebellion which you have committed against him. Maybe you did it last night. Maybe it was last week. Last year. You love to believe that God forgives, and when he forgives, he forgets. But it's very hard, isn't it, to get up off your knees even after it in an ugly confession. You have told the Lord the things that you have done in sinning against him and in the sight of heaven. It's very difficult, isn't it, to get up off of your knees believing that you are forgiven and to throw your shoulders back and to lift your chin high and to walk down the street operating on something other than a feeling of unredeemed guilt. It's hard to believe. You would like to believe that God is alive and working and God can take any situation, any situation, and bring good from it. And then, like some of us, you experience the most horrible thing that you have ever seen or known in your life. And it's hard to believe that God could be working for the good even in that. You don't fool faith. Faith is never built on what you want to believe, but on what you really do believe. 
And it's very difficult to believe. Very difficult. And if anybody ever tells you differently, believe me, you are talking to someone who is an unbeliever. And do you know why it is so difficult to believe? Because to be able to believe, you have to know. You see, that is the skeleton upon which faith is built. First there is knowledge, and then comes the muscle called belief, and belief is then covered by faith. Without belief, you have no faith. And without knowledge, you can have no belief. It's as simple as that. You see, that, that, that's one of the things that I see believing that I am somewhat in the Christian tradition a prophet of trying to interpret what God is saying to us today as I look at the situations that have been happening this past week in the past few months in our nation's capital. And I think the thing that we saw this week, in the earlier part of this week, was a feeling of disillusionment and a feeling of a lack of faith in America by the American people. <clears throat> Some of us got a little sick this week, and we began to question whether or not we could believe. And we lost faith because you know why? Because we're losing belief. And you know why we're losing belief? Because we just don't know. And that's the frustration of our political dilemma today and of our national life. It's not who's telling the truth or what we can believe. It is we do not know despite the Senate investigations. And the mass media, which I think some of them are working overtime. We just can't know, and, and whether we like to admit it or not, we just don't believe in things that we do not know. At camp this past summer, when we were trying to work on the elements of faith, I would ask those young people, how can you believe that when you go home from camp, your father and mother will be at home and still love you? Sounds like rather a gruesome question, doesn't it? But I was trying to drive home a point, and the point was answered always by these young babes of faith. They could believe because they know their parents. They know their parents that they will not leave them nor forsake them. They know that they can trust their very belief upon those who not only say but show their love, and that love becomes knowledge in that little mind and heart. That's it. 
You see, la ladies and gentlemen, I I'm not here asking you to have more faith, because if I did that, I would be wasting your time and mine, and those words, though they sound very pious and polite, would roll off your back like water off of a duck. I'm not asking you to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because I say he's so. I don't ask you to believe that even because he says that's who he is. I don't ask you to believe that because the Bible says that he is that. I don't ask you to believe anything because no man can make another person believe what he believes. But what I am asking you to do is to venture out in an experiment to see if you really know who God is. The reason you don't have enough faith if you feel you don't have enough, and which one of us feels that we have, is that we just don't know enough about God. Everything you see that God would have us to know about himself is revealed right here in his word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you want more faith, it doesn't demand a lot of courage, it doesn't, mass, it doesn't demand a great belief, but what it does demand of you is the time to get to know God, especially through his word, that one whom John calls the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to have faith. I'm sorry, if you came here hoping to find some simple formula, the only formula I can give you is to get to know God, and only you can do that. Nobody else can do it for you. Some of you out there are scientists, chemists, some of the finest chemists and some of the greatest companies that we have in America today. Now, now you'll uphold me on this point, won't you? As a chemist, you do not create new facts of chemistry, but you do discover new truths of chemistry. And how you do that is not accomplished by merely having your name on the rolls of the American Chemical Society, or by reading a book once or twice a year, or by attending one or two meetings. No, you become a scientist and have these truths revealed unto you only after you submit yourself to discipline study, to experimentation in the laboratory, and when you share in fellowship with other chemists who are trying to find similar knowledge. And that's the exact same way it is with faith. If you want more faith, you don't do it by getting your name on a church roll and showing up once or twice and paying annual dues, nor do you get it just by reading little bits of things that you would like to believe. You get it one way, and that is through discipline, study, and experimentation, and in the fellowship of those fellow Christians who are trying to find similar knowledge. 
I hope some of you understand now why we're involved in Bethel. I hope some of you understand now why we're trying to move into phase two and get you interested in the Academy for Christian Growth. We're not here just trying to put on a program that will make us look good on Wednesday night. We've gone out and tried to find the best theology teachers that we know in this locale. Your church is spending hard-earned money, which is given in confidence to the leadership of this church, to bring people in here so that they can do more than just read a few verses of scripture every morning and think that way they're going to find God, that by coming together and with disciplined study and with experimentation and through the power that comes through the fellowship when Christians share together their understanding, they're going to know God. They're going to know God, and once you get to know God, you begin to find that your beliefs might change, but at least they become stronger if they're right. And when you have belief, then faith is the grandchild. So to put it in a simple sentence, what we are trying to do here is not to get people just to become biblically intelligent. Nor is it just to get a group within the fellowship of the church, but it is to help people to be prepared to face the mountains which are going to be appearing in your life and my life in the tomorrows of our lives. That's what we're doing. Now, I know some of you haven't quite understood that, and that is why even at this last moment I'm trying to excite some of you to get serious if you want to have faith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can pray and ask, as did the father of that epileptic child when he came unto the Christ to ask for healing and for help. He says, Oh, Jesus, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You can pray that prayer and pray it over and over and over again, but I really doubt very much whether or not your unbelief is going to be helped. But there's something that you can do to help your unbelief. And that is for a period of seven weeks, I ask you to step out in an experiment. I hope it will be within the fellowship of this church or some other church, if not, at least in your own time, and walk up and down the pages of the New Testament in serious study. Experiment with some of those ideas that you were taught and which are revealed unto you if you take the time to get to know God. And I guarantee you that within that period of time you'll not be tripping over anthills of despair as has been the case with so many of us. But you'll be telling those mountains to get out of the way because you have a grain of faith.
Amen. Our Father and our God, you've given us so many resources. Forgive us when all we want to do is talk about them instead of use them. Father, we're told that it's according to our faith that it comes unto us, whatever it is. All of us here know that we are not living to our potential, that we're not living like sons of the King. Father, help us in this hour to become serious not only with ourselves but with thee and realize that if we do not have faith, it's not because you do not know us, but it's because we don't know you. That's not your fault, Lord. That's ours. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be with you and your faith now and forever.